16 minutes uh, it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk with me, Ayabonga. We go into our business wrap now and uh, to uh, wrap up some of the uh, uh, top business stories that are moving markets on this uh, Wednesday. I'm joined uh, on the line by uh, analyst and founder at the Money Hub, uh, Moshima Kama. Moshima, good evening to you and uh, welcome to Metro FM Talk for the first time. Hi, I am nice um, speaking to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming through. Mushima, I want yeah. us maybe to start off here with uh, that story that came from Food Services Group, uh, Bidcorp, earlier on today. They, they said to sell the uh, UK food division, uh, a division here that they were saying, ah, well, they don't see it as uh, very core to uh, their continued plans and designs for what it is they want for the entity. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I'm quite interested in what you make one of this particular decision. And uh, more importantly, it does join a slew of other stories of uh, South African businesses that uh, I guess are throwing in uh, the towel on many of their investments mm. and adventures into the United Kingdom. Yeah, you know, um, there was a point, obviously, in South the market which became very saturated for these big corporations. And obviously, in order for them to then, you know, spread their wings, they then go, went off to, it was particularly Australia mm. and the UK. And that, unfortunately, did not work in their, fla- um, in their favor because they would just entered the market at the wrong time. Mm. And with the UK particularly, they were going through some economic meltdown and then to top things off, the Brexit happened. So the timing was absolutely wrong for all of them. I mean, it, not just Bitcoin, look at Woolworths that mm. went to Australia. I mean, all. You know? I mean, a lot of them, like some medical and of many them, others, and yeah. They're just pulling down their the finances, um, their share prices. Um, it was, it's a good initiative to, you know, to go out and get exposed internationally or get opportunities. But when it's done is what is quite important for mm. the finance, like the finances, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess the other story that uh, was really of interest to me is what's happening all the way out in Mossel Bay, not so, I guess, uh, not so far from where you are, maybe further uh, from Johannesburg than maybe uh, from where you are. They said to close shop uh, in December 2020. They feel uh, that they won't have any gas reserves beyond that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this is surprising for me in light of the, that gas discovery just off of that coastline. Yes, but, you know, they particular gas. So the, the unfortunate thing that's happening with a lot of the mining industry that we need to understand is they are, they're getting they, um, you know, their supplies from natural, it's a natural resource. Mm. And the more they dig, it gets depleted and depleted. And the mining sector, rather the gold sector is struggling with that too because they now have to dig deeper for gold when, um, and it costs them even more. So that's why we're seeing a lot of this, you know, um, them having to, you know, these, um, then they're unable to play, um, pay miners because of that. They're using huge money to to dig in deep. And with Mossel Bay, unfortunately, they're running out. And if that happens with um, Petrus, about 1,500 jobs will be lost. Mm. And despite that, it will actually impact the entire Mossel Bay because the economy is based on that. You know, that's, what, that's what's running the business there. So although they did, they they seriously negative cash flow. That's where they're operating now. And they're looking at, they did approach, um, I think it was Total, the one you just mentioned that there was some... Yes, Total, yeah. Gas, yeah, Total, some mm. gas, um, contained gas they have found. And if that pans out, it's, I think they would at least be approximately, or allegedly they will then be sustained or commercially sustained for 50 years. So I hope that really pans out. 
Mm. Another solution for them could just convert Muscle Bay into an oil, an oil reserve, yeah. but that will cost them 4.4 billion. Yeah. So, yeah, they've been a bit of a nuts. So, I guess when we look at the numbers here, Moshima, I mean, it's quite surprising for me that it would cost about 9 billion rand to close the operation, but maybe 4.4 billion to convert it. Uh, into a uh, crude oil refinery. Uh, and I'm quite interested in, I guess, what, what some of those costs would be associated with the shutdown. We know you might have to pay uh, packages to some of the workers, but what else mm-hmm. would you have to do uh, to close an operation like uh, the one that PetroSA has had there in Mossel Bay? It, the, one of the biggest expenses they're sitting on now is because they have, they've had a drilling of about it's a one, um, 15 million rand drilling campaign that is now sitting there because they are unable to produce or the replacement. So they have a lot of loans to then cover up. And, you know, it's it's probably cheaper just to lay off people than to have to incur expenses. So that's what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Let's pause there for a second, Mushima. And when we come back, uh, I want us maybe to uh, touch on uh, what's happening there at uh, ESCOM. We know they uh, yes. uh, approached a few people. They approached some of the IPPs and said, guys, are you willing to take a shave maybe on uh, some of the things that you have? Yeah. And they also went to some of the coal producers. Uh, and it seems now that uh, South 32, uh, which uh, was sitting on a lot of assets uh, prior, of course, to that uh, exclusivity agreement, which might mean some of those assets uh, uh, go with Mike Decker's Sariti, uh, are saying that uh, maybe we need a return to long-term contracts. And uh, we'll take a look at that story, Mushima, after this uh, brief break. Eight minutes it is before 8 p.m. I'm in conversation as uh, we wrap up some of the uh, top business stories of the day uh, with the analyst and founder at the Money Hub, Mushima Kama. And Mushima, before we went to the break, uh, I guess I was uh, trying to introduce uh, the conundrum that ESCOM faces uh, with uh, uh, a massive debt burden. And they're they going to mm-hmm. some of their own suppliers to say, hey, guys, uh, you know, we're in this together. We're in this uh, for the long haul. And uh, uh, I guess you can't deny that if uh, you think about ESCOM providing 95% of all of our energy needs. And uh, saying, yeah. look, guys, uh, be willing here to take a shave because uh, that might potentially be able to help us down the line to uh, stabilize uh, the ship somewhat uh, while we ready ourselves for the unbundling. Yeah, you know, I, I just want to explain how it happened previously. So just to put mm, things in perspective. Sure. So what how ESCOM operated firstly was to then call on these long-term contractors who would then charge ESCOM on a cost-plus basis. And then ESCOM would pay over a contracted period, which was usually years. In return for this, they would then get coal at a fixed level and quality that was above the cost um, production price. Mm. Now, by doing that, they were able to de- risk themselves from market exposure. This means they were able to minimize their financial loss um, if, you know, coal prices went up the roof. Now, obviously, when um, Brian Mulefe became CEO, he then canceled the long-term contracts and then wanted the short-term contracts. And with the short-term contracts, ESCOM then became exposed to coal inflation, mm. um, which is now in a double-digit numbers. And, you know, stats are seeing it go to 20% by 2020. And who's going to pay for that? Obviously, us, you know, down the line with electricity. Now, although they are kind of, you know, the big companies, it, um, you know, it was, it was a good initiative, you know, with him wanting to at least support the smaller black mining companies, but mm. they were just not small. They were not big. They, they couldn't absorb, you know. The kind um, of demand, yeah. yeah exactly. Kind of, yeah. And also they weren't able to, not just bond, also just that risk if the coal price just, you know, the erratic movement in the coal price. And there was just struggles with the quality. So the big corporations are now saying, look, we're willing to play with you guys. Um, and I think Mr. Mantashi is, is proposing some price index to just 
be very transparent and to stabilize the price. They're saying, we're willing to pay with you guys, but just revert back to long-term contracts um, because it just we are big enough to absorb in, like to absorb all of that and to help you to de-risk and reduce um, coal inflation or your exposure to coal inflation. Mm. I mean, legally, what, what, what would this mean? Uh, would it, um, I guess, have extensive implications? And more importantly, what, how long would it take? Because I think a lot of uh, the conversation, we would have seen what came out of Fitch uh, uh, over the last 24 hours or so. A lot of the decisions around uh, the, you know, the ratings or sovereign ratings uh, outcomes and the impact that that is going to have uh, for the terms on which we borrow um, rest on whatever's decided when it comes to ESCOM. We know that white paper's coming out uh, yeah. uh, towards the end of the month. Uh, how long would it take to, I guess, uh, do what South32 has been suggesting that ESCOM do here, which is to go back to some of the long-term contracts that you're referring to? I don't want to lie. I'm not too sure how long it will take, but it, it is a matter of urgency um, mm. because our entire, it, it, you know, ESCOM is like the Jesus bolt of our economy. It just gives us all, you know, we need electricity to run our lifestyles as well as the economy. So they need to speed up things and, and be able to, of course, you know, by doing that, a lot of the small companies, which I really have, um, which, you know, I have a soft spot for, will struggle with, but um, being a corporation that it is and needing a lot of stability, um, we need to have a more reputable and reliable source of supplying that will at least reduce our pockets. You know, having to incur um, an increase in electricity puts a lot of us out of budget. Mm. So um, it, it, it just needs to be hastened and it is on you know, the top of the list because it's, it's come affects manufacturing in South Africa in general. Yeah, but but would you not say, I guess, you know, this is also in a way a South 32 and, and maybe Sariti later on down the line talking up their own uh, potential yeah. <laughs> uh, book of business? Because really, I mean, you know, it helps me. It helps me plan as a business person if I know I'm going to have, uh, you know, uh, a security of business for, say, about 20 years or so. Uh, you know, I can even go out and expand and get, you know, uh, new operations and become a super CEO if I know I'm assured of business for 20 years by probably one of the biggest uh, demand uh, sources for coal. You know, you could say they're talking e-book. Um, they currently, I think, start to supply about 12%. Well, yeah, 12%, yeah. Yeah, it will obviously um, be more at this point in time. Um, and they've done a very good job in investing in carbon because uh, that's the future at this point. So they could be talking e-book, but in, in all honesty, we do need at least some stability in what's happening. And if if everyone could, you know, the, the, the slice everyone could have a slice of the pie. In other words, they also take care of the smaller mining um, suppliers. It will work out. But because at this point in time, it is poisoned to have backfired, um, they just need to clean up that mess and just work all together. Um, it would be nice if, you know, they are given a chance, but they still consider the small mining um, companies as well. Yeah, I mean... I guess I'd be interested as well, Moshima, in some of the other smaller guys who would have benefited from, uh, you know, Brian Malefa's moves here. Uh, one would think that some of them now uh, are potentially in a much better place to uh, provide I would think so too, yeah. uh, <laughs> for longer-term contracts. Uh, because if not, yeah. then, I mean, what is the point? The point is, it, commodity prices, you need to be very big. Commodity prices can throw you off completely and may not controlled by South Africa, but it's a, you know, you people just thing. it's the entire world, it's global. So they need to at least um, be able to protect themselves against that. And I suppose there are ways we buy futures on, you know, coal. But 
Uh, I guess his strategy, like you said, just doesn't even want, I mean, it's an intimate statement where he said he didn't want to buy the bakery, he just wanted the bread. Um, <laughs> yeah. It did, yeah, it still is back high, but he, um, I think they are in a position, but it was, he wasn't in, it's gone for too long. Mining companies need to go on for a very long time to be able to get into a point or, you know, as in lost in the sector for a very long time in order to be able to know the ups and downs and uh, to absorb those in the industry. Yeah. Okay, Mushima, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. I certainly hope we'll uh, check Thank in with you, you soon that there was a Mushima Kama. She's a founder and analyst at the Money Hub uh, joining us all the way out from uh, Cape Town uh, this evening uh, as we take stock of uh, some of the big news in the world of a business that are moving markets and that have tongues wagging on this evening. Let's take this brief break now and uh, uh, we'll uh, quickly check in with uh, part two of our business stories this evening and we're going to take a look at the story of Amco which is litigating against the second largest chrome producer in the world and that's Amco Chrome Limited. And this is for profit shifting and fraud. And Dominic Brown is going to join me shortly.